For our message today, how about we start out with a little bit of class participation. So if you're in the room, I want you to give an answer out loud just without thinking about it too much, if you want to, you don't have to. For those watching online, if you have access to the chat box, this is going to be super easy. All you're going to have to do is punch in a number, the first number that comes to your mind. The question goes like this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident of a person are you? There it is, waiting for it. What I noticed is that right away we got some 10s, some 9s, and then the longer I waited, the lower the numbers got. Here's a follow-up question that'll totally blow your mind. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you of the answer you just gave me? We could do this all day long. Confidence is an unusual thing, isn't it? Because it's something that comes from us internally, but it's also something that other people can see. Let me share with you a quick story that changed the way I saw myself and the confidence that I had within me. Now, if I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident of a person am I, I assume that a variety of the numbers would be pretty high. Eights, nines, tens, elevens, right? Because as a pastor, my job is to stand in front of people, and anyone who does public speaking must be high in confidence. Let me give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look. When I decided to be a pastor, I was completely afraid of public speaking, to the point where I didn't even think about the fact that I would have to preach every single week. As I decided in high school that I wanted to be a pastor, and I was basically just like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I will let future Matt worry about public speaking. So I just started to go down the path of being a pastor, not knowing if I even had the ability or potential to do the most important thing that a pastor does. It was in college that the first aha moment came for me that maybe I could do this. Part of my college career meant going through a class called interpersonal communications, a fancy way of saying speech. One of the requirements of the class is that each student would give a speech about three or four times for the, for the semester or for the year. And I don't remember a lot of my college classes, to be honest, but I do remember that one. And specifically, I remember the first speech I ever gave. I was completely terrified. The very thought of standing up before my classmates and talking was something that was just eating me away from the moment I saw the class syllabus. And the very first assignment, the very first speech, was to stand up in front of the class and share with the class someone who has made a difference in your life. And so for me, the person I chose was one of my brothers. I will not tell you which one because word might get out and they might think I like them. (laughs) But I chose one of my brothers and I wrote out a script of what I was going to say in front of my class and I did my best to memorize it. But when I stood up in front of the class, everything was just wiped from my memory. I could not remember how I was going to start, how I was going to end. So literally, as I stood up in front of class, I just kind of sat down on the teacher's desk, which I did not plan to do, and I just started talking. And when I was done, I returned to my seat, and I remember the looks on my classmates. By the way, I'm a totally a shy guy. I'm not like an, an extrovert. But as I walked back to my seat, people were looking at me, and the guy next to me, he said, I was going to talk about the same thing. But man, you did good. (laughs) And I was like, really? I kind of blacked out. What what happened? (laughs) And then what happened is a few days later, I got the grading sheet that the professor filled out. And, you know, he had all these things that he was looking at. 
and he filled out his analysis, his evaluation, and in the, in the top right corner, in red pen, he wrote A+. And then he wrote something beneath it. He said, I don't give many of these out. And in that moment, something came alive inside of me, like, wait a minute, maybe I can do more than I thought. On a scale of one to 10, how confident are you as a person? There's probably different moments in your life where your confidence increased or decreased depending on the circumstances. But as I thought about it, the, the confidence that we tend to have as human beings really goes back to one of two things. And both were true in my case. Number one is your competency. Like if you're really good at something, you're going to be confident in it. Like I know some of you can just walk into a kitchen, grab 10 ingredients and just kind of make something and it's actually good. That's competency. You're confident in the kitchen just because you can do something. Another way that we get confidence is through the validation of the people around us. Like maybe someone at some point in your life came up to you and said, you might not see this, but I see in you an ability to do something great. And because of their validation, your confidence grew. That's simply what I want to acknowledge right here today. As we talk about confidence and a different kind of confidence, this is where confidence normally comes from. Confidence grows out of our demonstration, what we can demonstrate, what we can do, our competency, but it also comes from what others can validate. When you demonstrate an ability, you'll have confidence. When others validate an ability, it gives you confidence. This is the way we grow in it. And this is good. This is fine. This is something to be aware of as you try to navigate your personal identity and abilities throughout your life. But I hope you can see at the same time that this will hold you back. There's always going to be people with greater competency who can demonstrate more than you. And there's always going to be people who don't like what you're doing because it's not their taste. You talk too fast. You tell too many jokes. <laughs> I get all sorts of feedback from people, and that's okay. But you know what? Your confidence will always be limited if it's limited by what you can do and based on the validation people give you. And today I want to show you how following Jesus gives you a completely different kind of confidence in this life. It's a different demonstration. It's a different validation, but it's a, a, a living confidence that he gives to people who follow him. So just in a, in a couple of words here, what we're going to look at is how Jesus offers a different confidence. And to do this, to do this, I want to show you what a different confidence looked like for Peter. We've talked about Peter for a couple of weeks now. One of the disciples of Jesus, one of the people who actually lived with Jesus, um, and by the way, as you read through the stories of Jesus, Peter, as one of the side characters, shows his confidence over and over again. And I think it's interesting. A lot of times he is overly confident. And we'll talk about that at the end, what, what can cause that. But he's so often overly confident. But there was one moment in his life where it's like he, he finds within himself the kind of confidence that only Jesus can give. And I want to show you what that looked like for him. And then at the end, we're going to open up one of the letters that Peter wrote at the end of his life, as an old man facing death, he wrote a letter in which he talked about confidence. And I want to show you how he taught people to have it. So as we think about Peter and his experiences, there's a lot of different places in the Bible where it talks about his confidence and how he often spoke too quickly and 
acted too harshly, but in the, the, the episode I want to look at today, it gives us this turning point for him where he started to see things differently. It's in Matthew chapter 14, and instead of just jumping right into this chapter, I just want to set you up a little bit of what has just happened. It's been a very, very busy day. It started uh, maybe either earlier that day or the day or days before. It started with news that Jesus' close friend, relative, in some ways a ministry partner named John the Baptist was, was suddenly beheaded. He was put to death for no good reason. And this had to send shockwaves through Jesus' heart and through the hearts of his disciples. And then after that, crowds of people were starting to really gather and mass around Jesus thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And not only did Jesus teach them, but he miraculously fed him. And just imagine all of this packed into a day. And at the end of the day is what we're going to look at in Matthew 14. Jesus needs to get away from the crowd. So he sends his disciples into the boat to go across the lake to the other side. It was, it was nighttime and they were just starting to go across. And while they did that, Jesus went up on the mountainside to be by himself, which he often did, to emotionally connect, to, to emotionally recharge, to, to pray, to focus on his Father in heaven. He, he, he had this, um, these moments of, of isolation and rest. And as Jesus sent them out, they realized it's not going to be an easy trip across this lake. There was a headwind, there was a storm that was pushing them back, and they were struggling to make it across to the point where it, it went all the way through the night. And now, these 12 men in a boat, are trying to figure out how they're going to get to shore. They're tired, they're weak, they just want to go to the shore. So here's what happened towards the end of Matthew 14. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. And I love how Matthew just throws this in here casually. (laughs) No big deal. He was just walking on the lake. And as you read that, don't think that this is like a metaphor or that he's doing something different. Literally, he's walking on the water across this lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, and just keep in mind, these disciples are 12 grown men, many of whom had lived on this lake for their careers and livelihood as fishermen. These were 12 men who were familiar with the area. It's not like this is some mysterious place. They knew what this lake was like, and they knew what to expect. And their conclusion, seeing a figure walking on the water, was this. They were terrified. Their conclusion, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Some of us, as we go through different seasons of life, there will be struggles, there will be issues, times when we don't know what our careers will look like or what our families, what will happen in our families. And it's easy in those moments just to kind of look around and see where is their hope and then something different is coming and different can be scary. But with Jesus, different is always better. Immediately, without making them suffer through it, immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And this, this was the best news they could have received in this moment. And Peter, being the bold one, being the courageous one, the confident one, he said this. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, just pay attention to where your mind naturally focuses as Peter's talking to Jesus. If it's you, Jesus, 
Tell me to come to you on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. Now, now this is no small request, right? I mean, like, I'm sure we could all, you know, as we leave church today, say, hey, Jesus, could you let me fly like a bird? Could you let me walk on water? Could, could, could you do some cool stuff for me too? And just pay attention to what Peter's asking here. Could you tell me to come to you on the water? <clears throat> and then here's, this is crazy. This is how Jesus responds. Just one word, come. You want to do it, Peter? Go for it. Now just picture this big boat full of 12 people. All 12 of them have put their confidence in the boat for good reason. They don't want to die. Who in their right mind would step out of the boat with this wind beating against them? You know what happens when you get out of a boat when it's really windy? You stay in the water, your boat goes that way. And for someone stuck in the middle of this lake, that would be their death. Come. Come on, get out of your boat. I don't know what the other 11 disciples were doing in that moment, but I hardly think they were coaching him to step on out. But here's what Peter did. Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. He did it. And I know your application from today is you're going to go home and pray for the same thing. Can, can I, could, could you help me walk across Lake Marion? I think that'd be really cool. Could you help me like, fly through the air like a bird? I just, I've always dreamed of that, as long as I have a, a safe landing, that is. You might ask for some amazing things because, well, isn't there a precedent here that you know, Jesus will let you walk on water, but... There's something that I skipped over that's right in front of us. The focus here is not what Peter was walking on. Look at the rest of this. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Come. Come to me. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Peter's goal here was not to amaze the other 11 by saying, hey guys, look at me, I can walk on water. The point was not what he walked on. The point is what he walked toward. And just keep this in mind. As Peter went through this, for this moment, he had all confidence that he could go toward Jesus, regardless of what was true. There was no past demonstration that Peter had the ability to do this. He did not have the competency to levitate above water and walk across it. It's not like Jesus even put some training wheels on him first, like, hey, Peter, jump across this puddle and come to me. And then Peter, hey, jump across this bigger puddle. Hey, walk across some ice. P Jesus didn't like ease him into this. He simply said, come. There was no past demonstration of competency. And there was also no peer validation. We don't see the other 11 saying, yeah, Peter, go, you got this. They weren't you know, telling him that he had the ability to do this because they knew Peter too well. They knew he couldn't do that. They did not want their friend to die. They were not coaching him and cheering him on. Peter didn't have any past demonstration. He didn't have peer validation, but he did have an invitation. Come. Not about what you're walking on, Peter. It's about what you're walking towards. Don't focus on what you're on. Focus on who you're coming to. That's what a different confidence does for you and for me. I think a lot of times we think about confidence as being, well, I really want people to validate my ability. So if I work on my ability, I'll get more confident and that'll help me to do things. But a different confidence isn't about what you're doing. It's not about what you're walking on. It's about what you're walking toward. I think that's important for us to keep in mind. A different 
confidence focuses on what you're walking toward, not what you're walking on. What if this week, instead of asking God to give you great competency in your, in your career, instead of asking him to work in the hearts of the people around you to support you like you need them to, what, what if instead you asked him for an invitation? There's no past competency that I can show. There's no peer validation of what I can do. But God, would you give me an invitation to go where is best for me? Would you help me pursue you to the point where I even forget what I'm walking on? A different confidence will point you to what you're walking toward, not what you're walking on. And this is something that's demonstrated in Peter's words even. In fact, as he started, remember the very first words he said? Lord, if it is you. I need validation of who you are. I need validation of who you are. Therefore, invite me to come to you. It was all about who Jesus was, about who he was walking toward, not what he was walking on. And for a moment, he had this confidence that allowed him to walk on water because of who he was walking toward. But then this is what happened. When he saw the wind, and in those terms, I don't quite understand how he can see the wind. I assume it means he saw the effects of the wind and how it was blowing against the boat. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He became so distracted by what he was walking on, he forgot who he was walking toward. He began to sink, but I love how this gives us a lesson. Even in moments where we lose our self-confidence, it's still true who we're walking toward. He began to cry out, Lord, save me. And here his answer His question was answered. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And in this moment, he knew. He alone can save. And so again, Jesus doesn't just, you know, let him suffer for a while and think about what he had done. But instead, Matthew puts it this way. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He doesn't say, hey, you okay, buddy? He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Instead of having this confidence in Jesus, he doubted, he hesitated, and that put his focus somewhere else. He was afraid. You know why he was afraid? As he, as he looked at the wind, the reason he was afraid is because he was afraid to die. I don't blame him. If I was in the middle of the lake in a harsh storm and in the water sinking, I would be afraid too. But Peter's fear of death would not last. His confidence in Jesus was being tested because he was afraid of death, but when Jesus rose from the dead, that fear would go away, and it would be later in his life that Peter's confidence, that that different confidence, would take full form. And there would be a day when Peter, facing his own mortality, would simply focus on the legacy of his life in pointing people to Jesus. And the reason why Jesus chastises him, I think at first it sounds a little harsh. Like first, shouldn't you say, okay, are you okay, buddy? You need some, you need some air? Are we okay? Instead, instead, Jesus chastises him, not because Peter somehow stole glory from God in this moment by doubting, but that Peter was missing out on something in his life. When we don't have this different confidence, it keeps us from the peace and certainty that only God can give. Now, I want to work in real quick the conclusion to this section. Like, if you read the, the final part of this, as Matthew records it, he gives us this final verse where it summarizes, like, here's why I'm telling the story. Here's the conclusion. And the conclusion to this is not 
go and be like Peter, the conclusion I think is important is this. Those who were in the boat, the 11 who stayed behind, worshiped him, saying, Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Peter started this by asking if it's you. And at the end, they're acknowledging, we know who you are. We know who you are. And that's where your confidence has to start. Know who you're walking to, not just what you're walking on. It would be much later in his life that Peter would finally get this maturity of faith to know what this was really all about. To the point where at the end of his life, he wasn't just walking on water. He wasn't walking on water, but he was walking towards his death. He, he, he daily acknowledged his death was coming, but the resurrection of Jesus changed his confidence. He did not need to avoid death to have confidence. Rather, he recognized it for what it was, an enemy that had already been defeated. So here's one thing I, I wondered this week. If, if we could go back to Peter at the end of his life and ask him a question, I wonder how he would answer it. I would ask him, Peter, what does it take to have a different confidence? Like, you, you know that moment when you walked on that water? Like, how could we keep that? You know the confidence that you had towards the end of your life? Like, pretend I've never seen Jesus face to face. Pretend I've never talked to him. How would I get what you had? And as Peter wrote his final letter that is in our Bibles today, 2 Peter, he gives us some wisdom about how to have this different confidence that changes everything. 2 Peter 1.16, he says this, we, speaking on behalf of himself and the other disciples, the apostles, he said, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When it comes to matters of faith, and I know that we're talking about faith here, not just confidence in the workspace. When we're talking about confidence in faith, it's real easy to let doubts creep in, especially if your faith is founded in, in a book called the Bible. Well, isn't that an ancient book? Isn't that just made up of stories? Isn't it just myths? And even in Peter's day, they had well-established the Old Testament scriptures leading up through the, the prophet Malachi. And as Peter was writing to people back then, he said, just keep in mind what we have here. When, when we told you about Jesus, we weren't just making up stories. We, we weren't like put on a hook and then led somewhere that we didn't know where we were going. We saw this. And Peter here in the next verses, he refers to Jesus, what we call his transfiguration. It was a day where Peter and James and John were with Jesus and his appearance changed like they were in heaven. And this voice came from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. It's like a part of heaven came down to them for a moment and they saw Jesus true form. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, Peter said but you don't have to take my word for it. He goes on in verse 19 to, to share, okay, for those of you who weren't there with me, for those who never saw Jesus, here's what you need to know. He said, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Some translations translate this as even more reliable. Like beyond what I just told you, here's what is more reliable, the prophetic message, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Perhaps he's thinking of his moment in that dark, cold water with no hope, 
saying, Lord, save me. There was one light, one hope. And do that until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is a world of darkness, a world of confusion, and a world where it's really easy to lose your confidence in yourself and in your confidence in God. So Peter says, for those who are not fortunate enough to have the experiences that I did, know what you have, something completely reliable. And above all, he goes on, above all, you must know, you must understand that, and here's where he gets to the bottom line, he could point to any number of things when it comes to a person's confidence in this life, but instead he simply says this, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Now just keep this in mind, this is Peter, an old man who's about to face his death, he has seen Jesus die, he's seen Jesus risen again, he has completely changed his focus in life, and he says, for those who come after me, understand what you have in front of you in your Bible. No prophecy came about because people came up with some idea or prophets interpreted the times and decided that this is how things were going to go, but this was very different. Here's where this came from. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, though they were human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that word carried along, it's, it's the, the, the Greek word is a really flexible one. It can be used in a lot of different ways, but it's almost as if it's this boat being blown along the water. It's being pushed along in a certain direction. And the Holy Spirit, though using human writers, gave them the words that they were to use. Though they were writing from their own experiences and in their own vocabularies, God gave them the words to record the greatest story ever told. That the battles we face are not won by us, that from the very beginning, God said, I will step in to give you life. I myself will demonstrate for you what I can do. And I will validate who you are through my declarations and my promises. That word is what we have today. This is so important. We spend an entire lesson in starting point, um, kind of our introduction to to North Cross, we, we spent an entire lesson talking about the importance of understanding what the Bible is, and the conclusion we come to, it is completely reliable. It's a story that focuses on what God has done, and it's a story that focuses on the validation that God gives to you through his promises and declarations. And here's the, here's the, the principle I want to give you, and I, I know that some of you might have questions around this for yourself, and you want to dig into some details about the Bible, but here's the principle I want to give you today. It's that <clears throat> confidence in the scriptures puts different confidence in your heart. When your confidence isn't based on your, your, um, your capabilities, but rather on God's capabilities, it gives you a different confidence. And when your confidence isn't based on the validation of people around you, but rather on what God declares about you, that gives you a different confidence. And the only way to find those things is through what God has recorded for you in his word, through his promises and declarations. And it's in here, in this book, that you see what Peter received when he was on that lake. Jesus said to Peter, come. And Jesus says to you the same. Come, you who are weary, burdened, exhausted, 
and burned out. Come and I will give you rest. Come those who mourn and I will give you peace. Come those who are burdened by guilt and I will take it away. It's in the scriptures you see these invitations extended to you not by a pastor, not by a loving friend, but by your God himself. Come to me. And in those moments, you have the invitation to forget what you're walking on and to focus on who you're walking to. So as we close up, I want to give you a couple of tips to practically put into practice. That was redundant. To put into practice a couple of things that will help you reinforce this different confidence that we have. Remember, normal confidence is all about what you can demonstrate, and it's all about what people will validate. Well, here's two quick things that will help you to focus on the different, the different confidence that only Jesus can give. Number one this week, instead of looking at what you can do and being so proud of it and so confident of it, would you view yourself with humility? And keep this in mind. Humility has two sides to it. Um, the one side is we often think of the prideful side where uh, you know, lack of humility means that you're just so proud of what you can do. But there's also a form, lack of humility is also thinking too much about what you cannot do. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Think about what's before you, not what you're walking on. So as you think through your gifts and abilities, there are things that God has enabled you to do that maybe few other people can do. Thank him for that. Celebrate him for that. But think of those with humility, putting him first yourself last. Think of yourself with humility. And the second thing, listen to others with discretion. It is a blessing to have people around you who can validate what you're good at. And in many cases, people will validate gifts in you that you yourself have not seen before. It might be a college professor who writes a small note on your sheet. And by the way, I have to keep myself humble here. I got plenty of D's and, and C's in, in uh, college. So I was, I was kept humble, but you might have people who are speaking into your life about the strengths that you have. Would you listen to them, but listen to them with discretion? Some people might be going in a different direction than you. And we talked about this last week. Our calling is different. We live in this world to lead people to Jesus. So listen to their validation, but listen with discretion. Remember that your God calls you toward him, and the invitation is about who you're walking toward, not what you're walking on. So listen with discretion, and this week pay attention to the people who are validating your gifts and abilities, and think to yourself, where do they want me to go? Receive their validation, but receive it with discretion. And here's where we can also look back to what Peter experienced in his life. A wide range of different kinds of confidence. And maybe as you read through the Bible this week, pay attention to how sometimes Peter showed way too much confidence in himself, but at the end of the, his life, he recognized. Confidence can take you to the wrong place when it's placed in the wrong thing. But Jesus offers a different confidence. And with Jesus, different is always better. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the variety of gifts and abilities that you give to each and every person. Throughout our life, it's a little bit of a 
journey of discovery, figuring out how you created us and how we've, we've been gifted differently than other people. Sometimes we can let our sinful nature grab hold of that and dwell on how we're so much better than others and we have confidence in what we can do. And sometimes our sinful nature takes us the opposite way where we lament that we're just not good at things and so we lose confidence for that reason. Throughout life, we'll continue to grow and discover in who we are, but I pray that you would also help us to grow and discover what it is that we're really walking toward. Whether we're walking on water or whether we're in a season of sinking in it, keep our eyes on what we're walking toward. Extend to us those invitations to come to you. Let us hear from your word and your promises, who we are and your validation for for us. And ultimately, demonstrate for us your almighty power in all things, that you have defeated death for us, and therefore in this life, we can turn to you for your power in what we need. Keep us humble. Send us people to validate the good that you have put into us, and help us as your church to grow together as we walk toward you. In Jesus' name, amen.